My name is Carlos. Welcome to Working Class Heroes Radio, a show by working people about working people in New York City. My name is Mel. Thank you for tuning in. We continue to dedicate our shows to all of those fighting for black liberation. From their homes or in the streets, we stand with you. We are in the third week of historic protests in support of black lives and against police brutality. In that time, the movement has managed to win an impressive list of demands attempting to address systemic racism in police departments and in wider society across the country. So it's hard to believe now that during the crucial first week, the discussion was almost entirely dominated by reports of looting and rioting in places like New York City. This threat of looting has been used by officials to justify the institution of the curfew here in New York City and the expansive use of law enforcement that has brutalized protesters citywide. Last Friday, Mayor de Blasio went on the air to answer questions from protesters about police crackdowns and looting across the city, and in particular, the Bronx. Here's part of what he had to say. But meanwhile, in just a week's time in this city, we have dealt with not peaceful protest alone. That would have been the clearest thing in the world if we were only dealing with peaceful protest. Brian, if this had only been peaceful protest and any of these incidents had happened, I would have said Absolutely inappropriate across the board, and I still say inappropriate any time there's an investigation that's proven that something was excessive or wrong. But here's the rub, and we have to be honest about it. From the beginning of these protests, we saw not only in New York City, but in cities around the country, a small, well-organized group of folks, some call them anarchists, you can use different names, who were aiming to do violence, who were aiming to harm police officers, harm property, create destruction, for the purpose of an agenda. They wanted it on video. They wanted to be able to use it for what they were trying to achieve. That was part one. Then when we thought that was being reduced and we could move forward, two nights of property destruction out of nowhere, hadn't seen it in a long time. Those, by the way, were overwhelmingly just plain old well-organized criminals who saw opportunity. I was in Burnside Avenue in the South Bronx talking to the people whose stores were destroyed, talking to community residents who said we cannot let a community that's fought for decades to come back be undermined. And so there is more to this story than meets the eye. By focusing on the threat of looting, officials like de Blasio have gotten away with reassuring us that police are there to keep us safe, while simultaneously violently cracking down on protesters, particularly in black and brown neighborhoods. At the same time, The focus on looting has put pressure on organizers, protesters, and supporters of this uprising to conform with the acceptable label of the peaceful protest. You're either protesting peacefully or you're violent and rightfully subject to police repression, ignoring how these uprisings are inherently confrontational. When we come back from a short music break, we'll be speaking to Josie, an organizer and member of Take Back the Bronx, an anti-capitalist collective of Bronxites organizing for community control of the hood. Over the years, Take Back the Bronx has fought to save community gardens, protest police harassment and murders, win repairs from slumlords, and have supported workers on the picket line. Josie has been active organizing throughout the current uprising and was present for the recent police crackdowns in the Bronx. We'll be discussing these issues with her. 
So stay with us. Yo, what's up, Blastmaster KRS1? This jam is kicking. Word. Yo, what up, D Nice? Yo, what's up, Scott LaRock? Yo, man, we chilling. This funky fresh jam. I want to tell you a little something about us. We're the Boogie Down Production Crew. And due to the fact that no one outside there knew what time it was, we have to tell you a little story about where we come from. South Bronx, the South South Bronx, the South Bronx, the South South Bronx, South Bronx, the South South Bronx, South Bronx, the South South Bronx. Many people tell me this style is terrific. It is kind of different, but let's get specific. That was Boogie Down's Productions' classic South Bronx. And now we're excited to welcome Josie to our show. Josie, are you here with us? All right, she's here now. Hey, Josie. How's it going? How welcome doing? to Working Class Heroes. Thank you. Thanks excited for to be on. here. Of awesome. course. Well, you know, we wanted to start off by um, asking you kind of just generally how the issue of looting and rioting has been playing out in protests around the city especially in the Bronx where, where you organize. Um, and how is Take Back the Bronx responding in particular? Yeah, so um, uh, I'd like to say that a lot of this conversation about looting versus, you know, peaceful protesting is, is really being used as a diversion tactic to distract us from the real issue at hand, at hand which is government-endorsed police brutality and murder of black folks. Um, and the looting, you know, there was a looting in Fordham, and the looting in Fordham is being used to demonize and delegitimize protesters that are rightfully angry and pushing back against police violence. And, you know, we see that playing out in the liberal media and otherwise. Um, and we're seeing that a lot of this conversation around looting is being used also to sow division in communities of color. Um, you know, we all heard about what ha happened in Dykeman and how people in that neighborhood attacked protesters and were using all kinds of hate speech. Um, so now for us in the Bronx, you know, what we saw was politicians, community board members, and people like Michael Brady, who's head of the Third Avenue bid, capitalized on the fear being spread around looting to encourage business owners to call protesters, I mean, to call the cops on protesters. And in fact, for the protest that I was part of on June 4th, we were even threatened with a Dykeman-style welcome. And, you know, I feel like part of me believes, and I know a lot of people agree with me, that all of this contributed to the extreme and disgusting levels of brutality we experienced at the head of police in Mount Haven. Thanks, Josie. And, you know, what do you, what do you think the curfew had to do with... Um, with all of this? I mean, what, what was the purpose of the curfew and what did it look like in the Bronx? Yeah, so um, from what I saw, the curfew, you know, the curfew was truly set in place to repress protesters and halt mobilization without having to respond to people's demands. Um, I, I personally view the, the curfew as an intimidation tactic. And to be honest, I don't think it worked because people were still going out. So the curfew wasn't about protecting people. It was about protecting the violent and capitalist regime we live in. Um, and the curfew really provided an excuse um, to increase police presence and vigilance and to really um, incite fear and make people afraid to go out and make use of the First Amendment rights. You know, after 8 p.m., 
the police have free reign to be as violent as they wanted. And that's what we saw in Mahaven with everything that happened, all the violence that we experienced. You know, one of the things that we hear the, the mayor and a, and, a, and a lot of politicians saying is, um, you know, kind of making this distinction between peaceful, pro- peaceful protests and, um, and looting and rioting. We were kind of wondering, how do you deal with that contrast that the media presents? Yeah. Um, so, you know, first, I'd like, to, I'd like to address that looting is a racialized term. You know, looting has been historically used to reinforce racist and white supremacist narratives about black and brown folks being robbers and criminals. So really, when you hear looting, there's, there's a race, it's a race term that you're hearing, and it's, it's sending a message out. Um, and I really like to challenge the narrative about protesters being looters and, you know, actually pose the questions, who are the real looters? You know, um, and, I, and I just want to frame it in the context of at least my experience, which is what I can speak from mo- most. So I live in the South Bronx, a neighborhood that is currently being heavily gentrified. And people that have spent their entire lives in this neighborhood are dealing with slumlords who purposely are refusing to do repairs to get them out so that they can bring in gentrifiers and are being pushed out of their neighborhoods, you know, by increasing prices. Um, We're also seeing increased police surveillance that is attempting to, quote unquote, clean up neighborhood. And we know that clean up neighborhood is code for get black and brown folks, you know, into jails and out of the streets. Um, and this is all, you know, to clear up the neighborhood, to make it nice and pretty and palatable to the, you know, kids moving out from the white kids moving in from Brooklyn. So, you know, I'd like to pose back the question, who are the real looters? Because people in the Bronx are suffering. And they were doing that way before, you know, uh, a, a protester broke a window. And so, you know, I, I stand to believe that... Um, Looting should actually be rephrased. You know, there, I I heard a lot of you know during the, the the height of the COVID crisis, there was a lot of 7 p.m. banging of pots that you know was real cute, but that did nothing for people in my community who were working 12-hour shifts to get their families through the current health crisis, and we were not getting help, which is what you were seeing. So people are angry, and they're out on the street, and is there and is there to do so you know this this country has taken so much from us we deserve to get some back um and you know i also like to say that you know for folks who are from the bronx from the hood and live here if you really want to learn more about looting in the bronx and who has been destroying and pillaging the bronx throughout history um you know take back the bronx tomorrow friday is doing a tour of who are the real looters and that's going to be happening at 12 p.m. at Fordham and Grand Concourse, Fordham Row and Grand Concourse, and at 3 p.m. on 136 in Brook Ave. So if people from the Bronx, you know, we, we really don't, you know, we have allies, but we want people who are from this neighborhood want to learn more about that. We invite y'all to come out. Josie, mm-hmm. thank you for bringing us this perspective. After this short musical break, we will be taking some calls and comments. Helicopters open my balcony if the police can't arrest they want to smoke every ounce of me breath is alchemy see how the life converted you tell me life's a female dog well i'm perverted go to jail or get murdered murder was the case they gave us manipulate the system so the prison can save us ain't nothing can save us put lock a lick 
liquor stores, undercovers, buying whores. Ten years plus four little kids I am war. Mama wants me baptized, swimming in the blood shore. Shut down schools to open, drugs and gun stores. I see the floor, got a florist. When I read in my horror, so the vision is horrid. But you be sorry, stay broke. Rather die rich than stay broke. I'm staring through my rearview with my bitch black loaf. My nose reappeared, disappeared, peers wicked here. Tragedy all over the screen, like William Shakespeare plays. Disease, degree, increase, grenades. Disease, the AIDS I seize today, like wave. I fade away. I pray today, 'cause life is crazy. DJ Z is going for hard knocks. They wanna crucify with stones and hard rocks. What you just heard is Pig Feet by Terrace Martin, featuring Denzel Curry, Kamazi Washington, G Perico, and Daylit. You're listening to Working Class Heroes Radio on WBAI 99.5 FM. We've been speaking to Josie about what's been going on in the Bronx, police repression and looting. We'll be taking questions or comments from listeners for the rest of the show. Please give us a call now at 212-209-2877. Uh, for the meantime, Josie, you're still there. Yes. We know. I think a lot of a lot of um, a lot of what people aren't talking about is exactly just how how bad a lot of the the police crackdown has been, um, and in particular in the Bronx. And you know, I'm I'm not sure how much time we um, we have, but I know that you you were out there in the Bronx, especially when stuff got pretty bad. Um, and you know, we wanted to know if you could tell us a little bit more about your own experience during those crackdowns. Yeah. Um, so you know, we we were out take back the Bronx and decolonize this place and some other allies. And throughout our work, you know, we were our main priority. You know, was to engage people from our neighborhood. You know wanted to go out into the projects and reach out to the people from our community that are experiencing a lot of what's going on and to get them engaged and involved. Um, and, you know, around 7.40, 7.45 p.m., um, we were uh, kenneled in by police. Um, we were going down an avenue, and all of a sudden, um, cops came in on their bikes and barricaded that side of the street and then barricaded the opposite end so that we could not move. And they they kept us there until 8 p.m. so that they could mass arrest everyone. And mind you, there were people who were less than a block from their home. But they were still arrested because they were barricaded there from the police and could not move. And it was extremely violent um, on the police's part. They tear gassed us. They were hopping on cars and beating people with bats. I I saw comrades that were arrested and thrown on the ground and already had zip ties, and the police were beating them, yelling at them to stop, stop resisting what they were already face down. You know, I one of the most vivid memories I have is I was sitting in the, on the ground arrested, you know, around maybe like a hundred or more people, and six feet from me. It's a guy whose blood has reached to me because his head has been cracked open and he's losing consciousness. And these cops are just standing around as we're yelling that he might die and needs to get to a hospital. Okay, wow, we do have uh, three callers standing by if you're ready for the phones. Well, thank you, mm -hmm. Max. Um, sure, if you could put in our, our first caller. Okay, caller, go ahead. Oh, yeah, hi. Um, I'm calling from Hoboken. And, uh, you know, I've been around for a while. 
and been involved in the movement for change. And um, I, I just want to say, you know, quickly that I have listened to I've listened to you guys, um, different spokespersons and spokespeople for the uh, current movement, Black Lives Matter, and other movements that are involved in the current um, political crisis here. And you know, um, you gotta. If the movement wants to, to mobilize people, because you can't do this alone. You can't do this with your members alone. You can't do this in the Bronx alone. You've got to mobilize sympathy and, and, um, and, and, and support from people all over the country and around the world. And I am from the old school of revolution. You've got to separate yourself from random acts of terrorism, that's one. And you've got to separate yourself. You've got to distance yourself from things like looting. Okay? There are a lot of the stores and a lot of business places that get, loot, uh, get looted are ordinary small business people who are struggling, just like the people who are on the streets demonstrating and whatnot. And I do not want, I, I don't associate demonstrators and protesters with looters. And the movement has to separate itself from that. I'm not saying that you have to make some grand statement or spend your time doing that. But, you, can, I, you know, it is not a good strategy to get on the radio and talk about and say that, okay, the people in the Bronx were exploited, they are poor, and they are, they are, they are, they are, they are catching it. And, you know, it is okay if they go out and loot. That does not bring you supporters. It alienates people, even the very sad communities that you are um, you're fighting for, or the communities that you are depending on for support. It alienates people from the cause. Well, thank thank you, caller. Have... Sorry, I'm going to have to cut you off just so we can give uh, Josie a chance to respond. But thanks so much for your call. Um, Josie, did you have um, any response to, to the caller? Oh, we seem to have lost Josie. Oh, got it. Um, well, maybe we can, um, I don't know if you can uh, get Josie back on the line. Um, if not, we could switch it over to uh, another caller. Well, here's another caller while I make the call. Thank you, Max. Yeah, hi. Hi. Yeah, I live in the Bronx also, and I just wanted to echo what uh, the first caller uh, was commenting on. You know, I, I've been hearing a lot of the, the people who are supposedly like leaders in the, the movement. And when I hear them say things like, no, it's not looting, it's just redistribution, you know, the pharmacy that was looted in the Bronx was owned by a family of uh, people who were, um, I guess, immigrants themselves. Their name was Rodriguez. And if you look at footage, footage of what those young people did to that pharmacy, it was just horrific. It was just vile to, to see the things that they were doing, stealing medication from people who were ill, people who lived in that same community. You know, the destruction that's caused by, you know, people rioting and breaking into stores is, is unforgivable. 
that you know you do this to the neighborhood in which you live. And I have driven through the, the South Bronx, and the people there aren't that poor. I've seen uh, high-end cars like Porsche Cayennes parked up in, in some of those uh, South Bronx neighborhoods. So they're not dirt, dirt poor. I always hear... Uh, you know, people commenting oh, about sorry, the South Bronx you know, you being have, uh, ten seconds to um to yeah the, the South Bronx being poor. That's that's BS. Okay, from someone who has driven to the South Bronx a lot of times, they just look for an excuse. All right, I'm bringing him down, but Josie is back. Thank you, caller. Josie, I don't know if you were able to hear those last two calls, but if you want to get kind of the final word in, oh great, thanks. Um, you know, you yeah. got uh, maybe a minute um to respond, and we got to close out. Yes. Um, you know, one of the thoughts that really that I that I really have when, you know, having these conversations is that there is so much focus around the people who lost a storefront or who lost a window or their car was smashed. But what about focusing on the people who lost their loved ones, the black people who are dead and who their families can never get back? And I think that is the real crisis that we need to focus on, because that's what has been happening systematically throughout this country. And we choose to hold on to the, to the looting that happened here or there. Oh, how unfair something was for a specific family. And we do not realize or think about the bigger system in place that is killing people and that is sanctioned by our government. Thank you, Josie, for um, for responding to these callers. Um, unfortunately, we're at, we're out of time. Because of the technical issues we had, we couldn't respond to the points our callers made. But this is how we would have responded on air. So, to the caller who expressed his concern with the relationship between the movement and the looting, what I would say is that we understand that looting is a regrettable activity. And it isn't done intentionally by the movement. However, we should really consider why the looting takes place and the way it serves as a reflection of the social conditions of the people who engage in it. If we consider the fact that the Bronx has the poorest congressional district in the country, if we consider the historical neglect by city officials of large parts of the borough, if we consider that Fordham, the area that was affected by the looting, has benefited from large amounts of city funding to develop it as a commercial district, but the residents who live in the area have only known neglect and deteriorating living conditions. Then we can start to see how, while looting is not often a conscious political act by the people who engage in it, nevertheless, it is an expression of spontaneous political activity by people who are systematically excluded from any meaningful way of changing their horrible conditions. And yes, they're also victims of looting themselves in the sense that they often deal with landlords who deprive them of adequate and safe housing and businesses who only seem to have a concern for the community, if it means they get to profit from it. You know, Fordham has a lot of pawn shops and jewelry stores. Speaking for myself, I live very close to the Fordham area where the looting take, took place. In the last few years, there has been an effort by certain business interests and city officials to improve the area. However, this improvement has not touched the lives of the people who live there, who understandably begin to feel resentment that there seems to be unlimited money to help businesses, but never any to help working people, the unemployed or tenants. My last point would be a plea to also consider the racialized history of the term looting, rioting. Historically, for example, 
during the black uprisings in the 1960s, or even more recently in LA after Rodney King, or even Ferguson a few years back, the notion of looting rioting was applied to delegitimize political protests and activity by black people. We can see that that kind of thing is at play here too. When the media and the forces of official politics use the looting issue, looting rioting, as a way to divide people along class and racial lines by focusing on the so-called violence of property damage and not on the social conditions that have produced that as a response to live conditions. What I would like to say to this caller is that they should really consider what I said before to the previous caller, especially as it concerns the Bronx having the poorest congressional district in the country. The fact that you may see luxury cars in the Bronx as you've driven by, and so you don't really have a real idea of what it is to live there day in and day out, is no more evidence of the wealth of the people who live there than the fact that having a Target or a Best Buy on your block means you can afford to shop there. That's all from us for now. Thanks again for listening to our show. Unfortunately, we're out of time for tonight. Thank you, Josie, for coming on the show, and thank you all for listening. After our sign-off tonight, we leave you with an excerpt from Kimberly Jones from David Jones Media, responding to the issue of looting in our neighborhoods. Her words resonated with us, and we've decided to share them here. We encourage you to check out their Facebook page for the rest of the clip. Tune in with us next week to continue our conversation on police repression in light of the ongoing uprising. To listen to past episodes, please check out wchradio.org, where episodes are always available. If you like our show and want to support community radio, you can go to wbai.org and become a BAI buddy on behalf of Working Class Heroes Radio. Stay safe, New York, and always in solidarity. So when they say, why do you burn down the community? Why do you burn down your own neighborhood? It's not ours. We don't own anything. We don't own anything. There is, Trevor Noah said it so beautifully last night. There's a social contract that we all have, that if you steal or if I steal, then the person who is the authority comes in and they fix the situation. But the person who fixes the situation is killing us. So the social contract is broken. And if the social contract is broken, why the f do I give a shit about burning the football hall of fame, about burning a target? You broke the contract when you killed us in the streets and didn't give a f You broke the contract when for 400 years we played your game and built your wealth. You broke the contract when we built our wealth again on our own by our bootstraps in Tulsa and you dropped bombs on us. When we built it in Rosewood and you came in and you slaughtered us. You broke the contract, so your target. Your Hall of Fame. As far as I'm concerned, they could burn this bitch to the ground. And it still wouldn't be enough. And they are lucky that what black people are looking for is equality and not revenge.